Romans 4, 1 to 25. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal for seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who were not merely circumcised, but who also walked in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham, had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would, he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Why is, oh, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Thanks, Izzy. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we come and look at this part of his word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it shows us Jesus and reveals what it looks, what it looks like for us to respond to him in faith. Please help us understand now. 
And please do your work to change our hearts so we might grow to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, One of my favourite movies is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's a great adventure story all about the search for the Holy Grail, the cup of eternal life, literally the cup that Jesus used in the Last Supper back in the first century AD. Of course, the Last Crusade isn't a true story. It's not biblical at all. It's just a movie. But there's one scene that I think illustrates something true about what it means for us to follow Jesus. At the climax of the film, threatened by the Nazis, Israel, uh, Indy has to pass several tests to make it to the Holy Grail. And he must hurry because his father's life depends on it. One of these tests is called the path of God. Indy comes to a gap in the path, this deep chasm before him. How will he get to the other side? The scene cuts back to his dad lying shot and bleeding out, saying, you must believe, boy, you must believe. I'm sparing you my uh, Sean Connery impersonation. (laughs) All Indy has to go on here is an old promise in an old book. He has to simply believe by stepping forward in faith. Everything slows down. We're on the edge of our seats with Indy facing a choice. Will he back down in doubt and let his dad die? Or will he risk his own life by stepping forward? Hoping against hope, trusting in only words, believing that somehow life will follow what looks like to be certain death. Let me ask you, is that what Christianity is like? Hoping against all evidence, trusting in some dusty ancient book without reason or rationale, compelled by desperation to step forward, making a leap into the unknown? Is that what Christian faith is, a kind of blind leap in the dark? Indy did step out, but he took the leap, but what happened is feet landed firm. He, he, he landed on a bridge. He was saved, not by his leap of faith, but by the solid rock that had always been there, even though he couldn't see it. Well, today, we're not watching Indiana Jones together, as much as I'm sure you'd like to. Uh, we're in Paul's letter to the Romans, a true piece of history written in the first century A.D., Paul has been showing us how eternal life can follow what looks to be certain death. God's righteous judgment of us for our sin. But we can be right with God through faith, through trusting in God's words, through simply believing, stepping forward in faith, but discovering that there were always good reasons to do so, solid ground, a firm foundation, the gospel rock. Remember, Paul started his letter talking about this gospel. Chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul's been talking about this from the beginning, and he's just spent three chapters showing us our desperate need for this salvation. 
And then he showed us the solid rock of the righteousness of God. How our righteous God can count unrighteous people like you and I righteous through faith in Jesus. Remember, we heard how God righteousifies us through faith in Jesus. We can be justified freely, declared right with God, righteousified just as if I'd never sinned. And we saw that this is a gift given to us not through things that we do, but a gift that we receive by faith. And now chapter 4 is all about how. Paul's laid out three chapters showing the solid ground that God has got laid out for us. Now in chapter 4, he shows us the means. All because of what God has promised. See, the righteousness of God that we've seen is the grounds for our salvation, but by faith is the means. This is the path of following God, stepping forward, persisting and persevering, despite what we might see or not see in our current circumstances. Walking forward by faith in his promises. Not as a blind leap in the dark, but as confidence in who our God is. We're going to see that here in chapter 4. We're going to see that this righteousness of God is always by faith, for all who believe by faith, and also for us by faith. So let's dive in. Paul spent three chapters closing off every other way that we could make ourselves right with God. We're left with no excuses. The only way to receive the righteousness of God is by faith alone in Christ Jesus so that no one can boast in their own righteousness. Now he gives us three examples to show us that by faith was always God's plan. Three examples. First, an old man, then a working man, then a sinful man. First, old man Abraham. Verse 1, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul's talking about the story of Abraham. Do you remember? Back in Genesis 12, God chose Abraham. He called him to leave his land, to go to land that God promised him. And he made him these incredible promises. He promised him descendants, more than he could count, that his name would be great and that he would become a great nation. He promised him a fruitful land, blessed to be fruitful, and blessings through Abraham for all the families of the earth. Blessings to undo the curse of the fall, to break the power of sin, to bring us back into relationship with God. And what did Abraham do to deserve these promises? Paul tells us to think back to Genesis, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham didn't do anything. He simply believed God's promises. Imagine being a Jew in Rome in the first century, hearing this from Paul. You'd be stunned. Paul is playing the ace of Judaism, the original Jew. You'd be thinking, wait, what, Paul's on, Abraham is on Paul's side now? About how to be right with God? Paul quotes the Jews' own scriptures, their own law, their own father, their Abraham, to show that being right with God was always by faith. God counts Abraham as righteous. But even a short read through Genesis will tell you that he was 
far from perfect. He didn't earn it. He received it simply by believing God, by hearing God's promises and stepping forward in faith. If you were here last week, you'll probably remember, faith is believing God and acting on it, like trusting the pilot by hopping on the plane. And Paul uses Abraham to show us that this has always been by faith, even way before airplanes. So we've seen the first example, old man Abraham. We'll come back to him later. But the second example Paul gives is a working man. Verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. This isn't hard to understand, is it? We live in this world. Paul says if you pay a working man his wages, then he gets exactly what he works for. That's just. Wages are an obligation. He's going to nail home his point later in chapter 6, verse 23, where he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you want to keep living a shameful life where you turn away from God to chase whatever your dark heart desires, God promises that you will get what you earn. The wages of sin is to be given over to worthless idolatry and to die like the dead idols that you worship. That's just. If you want to keep living a religious life where you keep hiding your sin by sticking to your own self-righteousness, By spurning God's kindness, it's meant to lead you to repentance. God promises that you'll get what you're earning. His condemnation on judgment day for all hypocrites. That's just. But there's an alternative to getting the just wages that we deserve. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Instead of wages, we can receive a gift, the gift of righteousness by faith. The last thing you want to do is try and earn your way to God. We can never do it. Not even faith itself is a work that impresses God. Then it would just be another form of wages. Faith is simply receiving God's gift. Paul proves it with a third example, a sinful man. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. David was Israel's ultimate king, blessed by God, literally the man after God's own heart. The king who, was, who God promised his dynasty would last forever. And yet even David turned away from God. Even his throat had become an open grave, his lips dripping with the poison of deceit, his feet, feet swift to commit adultery with Bathsheba and then shed innocent blood to cover it up. And yet Paul shows from King David itself there is a blessing for the sinful man to be received by faith. By faith, David's lawless deeds are forgiven. His sin covered and not counted against him. He's blessed. Paul's played the ultimate hand. See his masterstroke here? 
He's just played the ace in Abraham, and now he plays the king in David. It's a royal flush. How has David, a sinful man, declared right with God? How is his sin exchanged for God's righteousness? Simply by faith. By believing in God's promises and freely receiving the righteousness of God, unearned, unworked for, apart from works. Paul's played all his cards to show that this has been God's plan always, to give righteousness as a gift by faith. So Paul moves on to his next step. This has always been God's plan, but this is also for all who believe by faith. Verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Remember, Paul has been showing us that God has a different way to divide humanity. Not between Jew and Gentile, as many people in the Roman church thought. That's what he means by circumcised and uncircumcised. No, it's between those who believe and those who do not believe. Believing Jews and Gentiles versus unbelieving Jews and Gentiles. See, it's not about whether you're circumcised or whether you have the law. It's about having faith in Jesus. It's not just those who are descended from Abraham who get to share this blessing. It's all who believe by faith. Again, Paul proves it from Abraham's story. Verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. See, righteousness was counted to Abraham before he was circumcised before he received the outward sign as the father of God's chosen people. Back in Genesis 12, when Abraham was already 75 years old, and later in chapter 15, when God took him outside and said, look up in the sky and count the stars, so shall your offspring be. It wasn't until Abraham was 99 years old in Genesis 17 that he was finally circumcised. Abraham didn't earn God's gift of righteousness because of his circumcision. He was circumcised as a sign of the gift he had already received. Look at it in the first half of verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Circumcision was a seal. An Old Testament outward sign of being a part of God's people. But it was always meant to go along with inward faith in God. That means that Abraham isn't the father only of Jews. He's also the father of all of us who believe. Verse 11. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That's believing Gentiles, right? So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. See, that's believing Jews. What's the criteria for this gift? It's not circumcision or uncircumcision. It's belief. Old Father Abraham says, you must believe, boy. You must believe. 
Paul says that Abraham is the father of all those who follow in his footsteps by faith. Whether believing Gentiles like us or believing Jews like those who led the original church in Rome. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul moves from circumcision, one of those specifically Jewish things, to the law of Moses, another marker of being part of God's people. But he's making the same point, especially since the law came over 400 years after Abraham. It's not those who are circumcised outwardly who arrive with God, and it's not those who have the law who arrive with God. Because the law just reveals our sin and provokes God's wrath. It's those who believe by faith. This is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles, which means it's also for us by faith. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Paul starts moving here into application. From Abraham's life story to ours, Abraham is the father of us all, the father of all who believe by faith. Paul wants you and I to know Abraham and Sarah's story. He wants them to, us to know how their God is our God. Because their God gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. When did God do this in Genesis? When Abraham was 100 years old when Sarah was way past childbearing age, when her womb was barren, not a place of life. But do you remember their story? Do you remember what happened? Verse 18. In hope he believed against hope so that, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. See what Paul's saying here? Just as God brought offspring from the barren marriage of Abraham and Sarah, so he can bring life to those currently earning the wages of death. If we too, in hope in God, believe. Because our God has always been the one who's able to bring life and resurrection from the grave with no leap of faith required. If you're not a believer, I want to say to you, put your trust in the promises of God today, like Abraham did. Believe. Because your justification, that right relationship with God, can simply be received by faith, by believing God's word to you, like Abraham believed God's word to him by believing God's word about the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, 
like God took Sarah's barren womb and gave them children like stars in the sky. Now God offers to take your sin and give you his righteousness. The offer is for us. The gift is for you to receive by faith. Against all odds, Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of Judah, all the way down through the generations to Jesus, the one who descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. If God can do that for Abraham, what can he do for us? Let's see where Paul goes, verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God's promises to him in hope. You need to believe God's promises to you in hope, to believe the good news. Abraham faced the fact that when it came to having children, his body was as good as dead. And we need to face the fact that the power of sin means that our body is as good as dead too. It is only a matter of time. Abraham did plenty of bad, made plenty of bad mistakes, but through it all he didn't waver or weaken in his faith. And we too will make plenty of bad mistakes, but need not waver or weaken in our faith doesn't matter how much faith you have, how much you struggle, what doubts come up for you. Imagine an extension lead. Imagine you buy an $80 extension lead from Bunnings or a $2 extension lead from Crazy Clark. doesn't matter. What matters is what you plug it into. It's plugged into the right power source. So it is with faith. Plug into the power of God's promises to you in Jesus. Abraham certainly struggled at times, but he was strengthened in his faith as he persevered in trusting God's promises. And we will struggle at times too. But we too can be strengthened in our faith as we persevere in trusting the Lord Jesus. As we look to our God, who can bring things into existence out of nothing, who created the whole world by his powerful word. As we look to our God, who can raise the dead, who brought our Lord Jesus back to life from the dead. As we look to our God, who will surely keep his promises. If you're struggling with doubt this week, if your faith is wavering, if you're not sure it's enough, don't look inwards. Look upwards to our God who created the world, who raised the dead and will surely keep his promises. Abraham wasn't perfect, but the overall trend of his life was one of faith in God's promises. One of persevering when things were hard, one of confidence in God. And we too will have ups and downs, but is the overall trend of your life one of trust in Jesus? Even when things are hard. This kind of trust in Jesus will change the way we live. What are some ways you can live it out this week? Is it when you hit the wall and you realise that again you're too busy? Remember the promises of God and rest, trusting in him. 
when you snap at your child and you realize that hurry is the enemy of love, remember the promises of God and slow down to reflect his grace, patience, and love for others and trust that his spirit is at work in us. When loneliness washes over you like a wave, remember to hear God's promises, to enjoy his presence, to take the initiative and be with his people. Maybe this passage has raised for you your own sorrows and pain when it comes to having children. I want to encourage you, take your grief to our God. Remember his promises. He promises to be your comfort, to provide all that you need, even in your sorrow. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We can be fully persuaded that God will look after us too. No matter how bad life appears this week, no matter the challenges, no matter our temptations and failures, no matter the great chasms of despair that open to our left and right, God calls us to persevere and to persist, not giving up on trusting him. Because his promises are also for us by faith in Jesus. Verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul makes it clear. These things were written for us too. Because God's blessings are available for us too. Because Jesus our Lord was delivered up to death as a sacrifice for our trespasses and raised to life for our justification so that we can be counted righteous and restored to relationship with our promise-keeping God. This is the objective truth of the gospel, the solid ground that we can stand off on, not as a leap in in the dark, but as trust in the one who always keeps his promises, who has shown it throughout history and who will always keep his promises in the future. This is the objective truth of the gospel, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presenting him as our sacrifice of atonement. So Paul calls us to believe to trust in him, to be counted righteous by faith, and to live for him by faith. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. You have shown your faithfulness throughout history to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Moses, to David. You have shown your faithfulness in the Lord Jesus, the one who suffered and died for our sins and who rose again for our justification. Lord, you are faithful and you keep your promises. Please help us to let go of any sense that we can earn our way right with you by our own efforts. All we can earn is the wages of sin. Help us instead to joyfully, by faith, receive the gift of your righteousness that you give us through faith in Jesus. And please help us to live out that faith with confidence this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.